This is Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to South China Sea Currents, our weekly podcast on what's happening in the South China Sea. I'm joined by our South China City reporter Drake Long to talk about what he's been writing about this week for RFA and Banana News. Hi, Drake. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. Okay, glad to hear that. This week, we start with a look at how Southeast Asian nations view the current tensions between the US and China that many now liken to a Cold War. As we've talked about in past podcasts, Southeast Asian claimants have taken a stauncher diplomatic stance opposing China's claims to virtually all of the South China Sea. And yet, the last thing they want is a great power clash on their doorstep, where they could be compelled to take sides. This came into focus this week when Singaporean Prime Minister Li Xuanlong addressed a forum, online of course, organized by a think tank in D.C. Now, Drake, you covered Prime Minister Lee's remarks. What was your takeaway? Well, they're interesting remarks uh, to start. So he was speaking to the Atlantic Council on Tuesday, as you said, and he was calling for a bipartisan consensus that would bring stability and predictability to U.S. policy towards the Asia-Pacific. Very interesting for him to call for that. He was basically saying, we like the USA's new statement on the South China Sea, we are generally wary about any sort of great power conflict in Southeast Asia. The main thing that we want, if the U.S. wants to appeal to Southeast Asia as a whole, or at least Singapore, is we want that stability. We want to know that from administration to administration, if you're going to announce a new South China Sea policy, it'll get followed through on. It was a very long, candid conversation. He also mentioned things like there are some criticisms about the code of conduct that ASEAN is negotiating with China that would govern behavior in the South China Sea, but it's ultimately better to be talking than to not talk and to just be ramming ships. That was verbatim what he said. So very, very interesting, wide-ranging discussion. So uh, when he was referring to the U.S. statement, this is the statement that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo issued two or three weeks back about the legality or illegality of China's maritime claims. Is that right? Yeah, well, not explicitly. He was talking more so about the U.S. Uh, deployment of carriers to the region, the pace of exercises, and the statement all rolled up into one. So basically just what the USA has been doing in Southeast Asia recently. So he was supportive of those actions, but he was wary at the same time. Yeah, and I think that's pretty much expected. I think that's what most Southeast Asian countries would actually say. They would welcome the USA taking a stronger legal stance on the South China Sea dispute. They enjoy you know, diplomatic initiatives that have some staying power in the region that show that the USA is committed to the area. That's exactly what he said. As you said, one of our biggest concerns is that you're going to simply take your toys and go home at some point. The USA will no longer consider the Asia-Pacific important and simply leave them to their own devices. So that's always been the concern. So the Southeast Asia and Singapore more specifically wants that kind of consistent presence. But at the same time, the military presence has Singapore and a lot of different Southeast Asian countries concerned because that just raises the risk of conflict and they don't want to be dragged into a regional war between China and the U.S. I mean, I think that's pretty expected. I think I, I recall that his comments were that he doesn't want the U.S. and China to collide in the region. Yeah, exactly. So he doesn't want the collision. Southeast Asian nations don't want the collision. Why should we sort of listen to Singapore? They're not actually a claimant. I mean, obviously, we listen to Singapore with respect. But why is a message from Singapore something that the United States should perk up their ears and really listen to? Well, Singapore is 
kind of been cast recently, or, I mean, at least as long as I've been paying attention, as kind of the spokesperson for Southeast Asia. And by that, I don't mean like they speak for all of Southeast Asia, but typically they're extremely good at conveying Southeast Asia's concerns to countries like the U.S. or other outside countries, per se. And they're also extremely well good, just in terms of their relations with both China and the U.S., they're extremely good at explaining to China what the USA is thinking, explaining to the USA what China is thinking. So they're a very vital kind of go-between. There's a fair amount of intrigue that Singapore is kind of savvy to, that they convey to countries outside of the region. So it's always very, very wise to kind of listen to the temperature and figure out what Singapore is thinking on these sorts of things. And they also have very close trade ties with the United States and also very close defense ties. Yeah, so actually uh, yesterday the Republic of Singapore Navy made a statement on their Facebook saying, Singaporeans, look at the phones in your pocket, look at the laptops that you have. All of this is because we have free and open trade. Uh, we have sea lanes of communication, which is a very important phrase to use. They're saying we have to protect our sea lanes of communication to keep this trade coming in, to keep free movement of shipping to Singapore. They call Singapore a maritime nation. So that's a signal that Singapore, even though it may not be a claim in the South China Sea, very clearly sees itself as a stakeholder. And I think it would be very concerned at the prospect of a country like China moving basically unimpeded throughout the South China Sea with the kinds of bases that it's building that, to be quite honest, imperil that kind of free navigation and those uh, merchant and shipping lines. Now, I think similar concerns to those that you're saying were enunciated by, sort of indicated by Singapore, came up in the meetings this week between Australia and the US in Washington, where the top diplomats and the defense chiefs from those two allied nations held two days of talks. Can you tell us a little bit about the Australia US ministerial consultations or OSMIN? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so these were high level talks held earlier this week. I believe it was Monday and Tuesday. Lots of diplomatic messaging going on this week. You have Singapore, which is saying, you know, we want to have good relations with China and the U.S. We are very wary about conflict in the South China Sea. We want stability and predictability more than anything. Then you have the Australia ministerial consultations. Australia is one of the staunchest U.S. allies that you can find. There's areas of disagreement, and Australia will tell you that. But it's very different from what you have with Southeast Asian partners, for example. So the Australian-U.S. ministerial consultations happened. You had a defense minister and you had the foreign minister for Australia meet with Secretary of Defense Esper and Secretary of State Pompeo over here. And they came out with a joint statement and a new plan that was pretty clearly focused on the South China Sea and on China more broadly. You have a force posture working group that's going to be looking at how to integrate Australia into the USA's regional military planning. You have the setting up of a strategic fuel reserve on Australia's coast that the USA presumably is going to get to use. And you have a, a whole host of initiatives on defense cooperation, things like new technology, hypersonic space capabilities, stuff like that. But it was a very interesting kind of outcome. And I think Australia probably got a lot of what it wanted from it. However, Australia was very careful to say nothing about phone ops or anything about hosting U.S. missiles, which had been some sticking points in the past. It was a productive discussion. It was very interesting to kind of see the outcome of it. And I think that it shows that the U.S.-Australia alliance is very clearly focused on Southeast Asia for the time being. 
By FONOPS, you mean freedom of navigation operations, which the U.S. periodically carries out close to the Chinese-occupied islands in the South China Sea. But Australia hasn't taken part in those kind of things before. No. So freedom of navigation operations, when we talk about those, Australia has passed through the South China Sea before. They've transited through the South China Sea. They have been shadowed, apparently, by Chinese warships while moving through the South China Sea. But when the USA does freedom of navigation operations, that usually refers to passing within 12 nautical miles, as in very, very close to Chinese-claimed or Chinese-occupied features in the Paracels or the Spratleys. Australia hasn't gone that far yet. No country has, actually. It's pretty rare for anyone aside from the USA to do that. And if you want to challenge the legal basis on which China claims these features, a phone op kind of makes sense. But I was speaking with Ashley Townsend, who is the Director of Foreign Policy and Defense over at the United States Studies Center in Sydney, Australia. And he made the point, Osman is maybe not the best forum to announce an Australian phone op anyway. Australia very much believes that if they're going to do any operations like that, it should be for the region, as in for Southeast Asia, and by the region, as in they would like to do it with Southeast Asian countries, if anything. Announcing it bilaterally at the uh, Osman conference maybe doesn't send the right message that Australia wanted. So a phone app is probably not going to happen in the near future. Didn't the Australian foreign minister say that the topic of phone ops came up when they were having these talks with the US, but she was kind of non-committal on the issue? Yeah, which I think indicates to you that it's not going to happen anytime soon. It was known in Australian media that it was going to come up with these consultations as a whole range of issues do, but they would not commit to it, which makes sense from their perspective. Now, these Osman talks happened uh, a week after Australia had issued this diplomatic note to the UN, where it um, questioned the legality of China's maritime claims in the South China Sea. What was the broader message that came out of Osmin about China and the things that it's doing in, in Southeast Asia, South China Sea and elsewhere? Well, it's simply this. The USA and Australia are aligned are more aligned on the legal approach to the South China Sea. I mean, they've kind of coached their rebuke of China's legal bases and legal claims in the South China Sea, kind of in the same language. And now they're working more closely on defense cooperation too. So the message there is that the USA and Australia are kind of moving closer together on figuring out a South China Sea strategy. I mean, that's that's been in the works for a while. You've seen US-Australia joint naval exercises in the South China Sea. You've seen a whole host of drills in the area. You had a trilateral drill between the USA, Australia, and Japan just at the beginning of this week, actually, in the Philippine Sea. So the main takeaway is the USA and Australia are trying to figure out a consistent message. That's the legal note. That's a diplomatic note. And they're trying to back it up with some defense cooperation, too. Now, China issued a diplomatic note this week, I understand, in response to Australia's diplomatic messaging to the UN on the South China Sea. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so China did not take Australia's note super well, as they typically don't. Uh, China submitted its own note to the UN, despite the fact that there are many countries that have said China's claims are not legal. And actually, on the same day that China submitted this note, Malaysia had sent one just earlier totally refuting all of China's claims to the South China Sea. But China saved their note for Australia, saying Australia's note does not conform to international law. It's a flagrant violation of the principles of international relations, and we're not going to abide by the 2016 Permanent Court of Arbitration Award. 
which is something that Australia brought up in their note. They said, China, please abide by the 2016 ruling. You see the same language in the Philippine note, in the Indonesian note, something similar in the U.S. note and Vietnam note. They're all saying, China, please abide by international law. Please abide by the 2016 Permanent Court of Arbitration Award. China's note says, Australia, you should have never said this in the first place. How dare you? We have undisputed sovereignty over all of these features in the South China Sea. And also, we're not going to abide by that ruling ever. So quite a strongly worded statement. And they backed it up with a bomber exercise, apparently, over the South China Sea this week. So whether the two things are coordinated, I don't necessarily think so. But I think the timing shows how quickly China likes to react to these sorts of slights or perceived slights. And just to recap, the ruling, the 2016 ruling you're referring to is the one made by the Permanent Court of Arbitration in the case between the Philippines and China. Yeah, we've brought that up in previous podcast episodes, actually. Yeah, so that 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 was the suit that Philippines brought against China under UNCLOS. UNCLOS has a provision that says if you can't solve a dispute in any other forum, um, there's going to be a independent arbitral tribunal to kind of look at it. China has never acknowledged that court. They've never acknowledged that ruling or that award, I should say. So it's not that surprising that they still don't want to recognize it. But for a lot of other countries, it is a precedent now in international law. That ruling says China's claims are not legal, like the legal bases that China has for all of these rocks and reefs that it occupies, the historic rights argument, the nine-dash line, none of that is valid. And comprehensively strike down all of China's claims like that was uh, pretty bold. And of course, China has not complied with it since. Can you just tell us a little bit more about these bomber aircraft drills that happened over the South China Sea this week that China carried out? The military spokesperson for China just simply said, oh, yeah, we carried out drills this week in the South China Sea, by the way. And no other information was given. He said their H-6J bombers and H-6G bombers took off, did some night and day takeoff exercises they practiced assaulting targets at sea, which is usually code for you know anti-ship attacks or what have you. Um, other people, open source analysts like a, a Twitter user Duandong, actually found where those bombers were taking off from. It's a People's Liberation Army Naval Aviation Force base, which is a lot to say. But basically, the air arm of China's Navy was running drills in the South China Sea this week uh, with some fancy new bombers that they have. So this is most 